Welcome to Crosswalk Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Crosswalk Church in Daytona Beach, Florida. Take your Bibles and join us again in Romans chapter 1 as we complete a study on the sin of homosexuality. When a society puts its stamp of approval on such debauchery, the culture will suffer the consequences. That's in any sinful conduct or behavior. And we're seeing a a widespread buffet of things today. Not just this issue, but of other things that our culture is putting its seal of approval on And God is saying, it's not only those who do these things, but it's also those who say, that's okay. Go ahead and do it. And we'll stand behind you and lend you our support. And here's Paul's point. The wrath of God rests on them as well. That's a very sobering thing. Now let me close with some thoughts. And these closing thoughts are important. Because I've just, I have tried to just kind of give us the the meaning of the text here. But this issue of what has been called today, you you see, we're moving away from the terminology, for example, of homosexuality. Or as the Bible literally refers to it as sodomy. We are moving away from that and we are somehow softening it to by using terms of same-sex, gay, whatever terms that we create. And this issue is a complex one, church. It is a very complex one. I would have very much have liked this morning to say, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, verse 21, and let's talk about God. In the sense of His remedy for all this. But we're saying, well, what, what is it that He's remedying? But... It's a complex one. And I have no misconceptions, no misconceptions that I have somehow even left the starting block, so to say, in regards to addressing it. And what I have tried to accomplish is a faithful exposition of the text at hand without venturing too far into troubled waters. And indeed, the waters are troubled. The church is floating in troubled waters. And I'm afraid that the boat is taking on water. I perceive four postures. Now I'm just talking to you now. I perceive four postures of the church at this time. Maybe you could add to it. You can, but that's fine. The four postures of the church at this time that I see. Number one is the posture of acquiescence. That is that the church basically is silent on the issue. There are those that are completely silent on the issue. Their attitude is, and this is another way of saying, you know, this really is no big deal. We can agree to disagree, so let's just do what the proverbial ostrich does. Let's put our heads heads in the sand, and just pretend this doesn't affect us. That's them and that's not us. Not true. 
Then there is the second posture is all-out support. You have support, not only is that activity and conduct being supported by some of the church, and I use that word church now generically, but encouraged by it. In fact, those who practice these things are ordained to the clergy. There are even churches that claim to be those type of churches, and they're being established. Then there's a third posture. There is a vehement opposition. Churches, and I reluctantly call them true churches because I don't believe they exemplify Christ-like conduct, are those that are openly hostile towards homosexuality and openly hostile toward a lot of different things. For example, you might have an example, which I have a hard time even calling them a church, but Westboro Baptist Church, for example. They're the ones who protest the military funerals, and they're the ones standing outside of you know, places with their signs, God hates gays in the whole. I mean, they just, that's, they're, they're, it's a vehement hatred that exists for anything that's not like them. And then there's the fourth posture. And this is what I really want to note. This fourth posture is a fidelity to the gospel and committed to the biblical divine order in sexuality. That's the posture, the fourth posture. Fidelity to the gospel and committed to the biblical divine order in sexuality. And you know what? Just holding that position, church, puts us in opposition to the perversion of the sin, but get this and don't miss it. It puts us in opposition to the perversion of the sin. Are you ready? While truly loving those who are trapped in the vicious cycle of the sin. I believe that's the biblical position. Is that we stand firmly on what the gospel teaches. This is a terrible sin. It's probably, I know I hear people say all the time, well, you know, all sin is sin. We're all sinners and all those things are true. All sin is sin. The Greek word harmatia means simply to miss the mark and all sin is simply missing the mark. But there is a certain gravity given to sexual sin, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual. The gravity given to heterosexual sinfulness, sexual sin sin in heterosexuals, is, first of all, it defiles those people because, again, it it violates God's divine order of putting us in what? Heterosexual monogamous relationships for the purpose of doing what? As Paul says in Ephesians, to demonstrate openly the union of Christ with His church. And so there is a certain seriousness to heterosexual sexual immorality. Paul addresses that in Corinthians. I mean, you don't just defile the outside of yourself, Paul says. You're defiling the inside of yourself. And then there is that, that, that special nature of homosexual activity, which does more than simply just defiles inside, and it does do that. It literally flies in the face of God in regards to His divine order. And it tells God, basically, we know better than you. We'll do it our way. Our way is a better way. 
Because we just want to be happy. And you have no right, to make, no right whatsoever to impose upon us that in any way would infringe on my desire to be happy. I have become a God to myself. And my idol has become my sexuality. It's all idolatry. So sadly, and this is where it gets a little way, sadly the, the last posture, fidelity to the gospel and committed to the biblical divine order and sexuality, sadly that posture is wrongly associated with the third, which is vehement opposition. We're all clumped together if we claim to be Christians and we claim to stand in opposition. That's borne out in, this, in these articles. As, as you just read through these articles, I'm not going to take the time because I'm going to run out of time in a moment to read these. But you go back. You can look at it online, April 15, 2015, page 5 of section A, Perspective Letters to the Editor. And I've, I've, I've highlighted them and I've checked the different things here. And when the true church voices any opposition to the sin, notice I said, on purpose, any opposition to the sin of homosexuality, we are labeled. The, the argument immediately turns ad hominem. It turns to the person. And here's the argument. Well, see, there you go. You all are just homophobes. You all are just bigots. That's what one said right here. All religious people are nothing but bigots. Bigots. Intolerant. Let me just stop for a moment there. Intolerance has taken on a whole new definition in our century. Literally, tolerance used to mean that we had the right to disagree and to believe what we wanted to believe, and that you can believe what you want to believe, I can believe what I want to believe, and we could just, we tolerated each other. Now, tolerance is defined as you must accept what I believe. And if you don't accept what I believe, for whatever reasons you might say you don't accept it, you are intolerant, and therefore you are a narrow-minded, bigoted person. Even in my lifetime, in my young 61 years, I have seen this definition change. I have sat with my parents and as a young boy going places with my dad and hear them discuss politics and hear them discuss social issues and see them argue with each other yet walk out not wanting to sue each other or have one arrested because he didn't hold the other's position. They walked out agreeing to do what? To disagree. But you dare not you dare not stand in opposition to this issue, you bigot. No. Or oppressive. Or as I was at one meeting where we were visited and the posters outside being held were, you haters. I don't hate anybody. I don't hate anybody. I can't hate anybody. If you harbor hatred in your heart, Jesus says you're a murderer, and murderers suffer hell. And this leads me to my closing statements. I'm persuaded, and listen, this is where I want to I draw, and I'm very careful at saying this. I'm persuaded that the issue of homosexuality is, and this is my estimation, even though I don't believe I'm alone, 
is the watershed issue for the Christian church in America. In 1973, I was a college student. In 1972 was my freshman year in college. I was the first 18-year-old generation to vote. That was the year that 18-year-olds were allowed for the first time in American history to vote. Some of you were there with me. And I was on a college campus extremely, extremely unregenerate. I have walked. I have protested. I'm embarrassed to tell you. I have been in places that I don't even want to tell you I have been on the other side of some of these issues. And once I became a Christian in 1979, and my mind began to be changed by God's Word and God's truth, I thought, for example, that perhaps one issue would prove in our history to be the watershed issue, and that was the sanctity of life. And I believe it is a issue, a powerful issue. And in 73, when I supported and protested in support of Roe versus Wade and a woman's right to an abortion. In fact, it wasn't it was all the way from the time I was in high school through college, all the way to I became a general in 1979, and I held that position. And had been there. Been in the abortion clinics with women, supporting them, encouraging them. Embarrassing for me to stand before you this morning. And to say that kind of thing. But I thought at one time that was going to, when I became a Christian, I thought this is the issue. Because certainly God will judge us because of our lack of sanctity in regards to human life. And certainly it's one of the major issues. But I believe there's been a transition. Because I believe if you were to go out on the street, even today, and you were to survey people. And you were to say, for example, do you believe that human life is valuable? What do you think would be the overwhelming answer you would receive? Yes. And if you were to even go out and say, do you believe abortion is right? What would they probably say? No. Overwhelmingly. I have these conversations. But they, don't, but they don't stop there. Oh, I believe it. I don't believe it's right, but it's none of my business. If that's what somebody wants to do, they can do it. That's their business. So that's the acquiescence, again, of the church to that issue. Here's why I am persuaded the issue of homosexuality will be the watershed issue in America. It may very well turn the tide of public opinion concerning the true church in our nation. We have been led to believe for years that over 10% of our population is homosexual, when in reality it's about 1.8 to 2.3%. However, however, 92% of our population says it's okay. It's not for them, but it is Okay. Now, if that's true, where does that put us? Wow. We're in a very small place. I do not mean a good turning of the tide here, either people. I mean, this may very well turn the tide of public opinion concerning the true church. It may very well result in the persecution. You need only read these articles. And these are coming from our citizens who are basically telling you, sit down and shut up. Keep your ideas in your buildings, as one says, and don't write or say anything about them publicly. It's right here. 
A persecution is coming. This may be the issue. A persecution sparked by a backlash coming from a 21st century Roman culture. And listen, I believe we are about to see the last, the last of any cultural props that have been in place in this nation for almost, well, 200 plus years in regards to supporting the church. We are very close, very close church. As most, by the way, of our brothers and sisters around the world are already experiencing, we are very close to being back in the days of the early church where there were no cultural props, only only persecution and vilification. Christians were were considered the scourge of the earth. We've enjoyed 200 years of a culture, American Western culture, that has provided us religious liberties, which are one of those props. And yet slowly but surely, as you see, even in these comments that are being made here, that's being eroded. The props are being kicked out one by one. Are we prepared to stand our ground regardless of the cost? But when I say stand our ground, I don't want you leaving here this morning misunderstanding me. When I say stand our ground, I don't mean stand our ground against something. It's not standing against something. I'm not saying just go make our signs and hit the streets. Oh, no. No. I am talking about standing for something. Yes, we do stand our ground on important issues, but the most important issue, church, here it is. Pastor Mitch, what do you believe is the most important issue? Here it is, the gospel. The gospel. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. It's the gospel. We're not going after something. We are standing for something. And that is the gospel, regardless of the turning of the cultural tide and the ridicule or persecution that it may bring to the church, we are to remain faithful to preaching the gospel. Which leads me, and you're probably saying, thank God, to my final statement. I don't know whether you heard the S on my statements a while ago when I said that. The greatest, listen, this is extremely important. We were, I was just drinking my protein shake and drinking a cup of coffee this morning early, and Terry walked by the dining room table. She said, I thought you had all that finished, because somebody walked in my notebook, my Bible, and I'm sitting there, and I'm going, look, and I have these three pieces of paper balled up on the table. <laughs> Never done. Just late toss and turn all night long. Can you imagine getting up and know you had to preach something like this on a Sunday morning? The greatest impact, listen, the greatest impact the church has ever had on this world has been accomplished by preaching the gospel. It's not been through social activism. It has not been through political activism. 
Just about time I became a Christian was the birth of the moral majority. And that was going to be the salvation of ethics and morals in America. Well, you saw how that went, right? It's preaching the gospel. The church, I'm going to say something radical. Because this is the big impetus of our day. The big impetus of the day. The church is here to impact our culture, impact our culture, impact. So what we do is we have to become more relevant to impact our culture. That means we have to tattoo ourselves, pierce ourselves, dress ourselves, do whatever we got to do. And we somehow have to get out of there so we can be relevant to the culture. And suddenly we become to look so much like the culture and behave so much like the culture that they don't know us any differently than the culture. But I'm going to shock you. We're never called to impact the culture. We're called to change men's hearts by giving them the gospel. By preaching the gospel. So if I sit beside whoever it may be on the bus, or if I sit beside whoever it may be, whatever their orientation, my heart burns. Not to change them from something I might not agree with. But my heart and your heart should burn with what? The desire to do what? Give them the gospel. And then let the gospel do the work. And it will do the work. It will do. It's the power of God. Why? I've said this many. How many times, church, have I said this to you? Why do we forsake the preaching of the very thing that possesses the power to change the hearts of men? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. For two millennia, for 2,000 years, The true church of Jesus Christ has been preaching Jesus Christ. This is not a book about homosexuality. It's not a book about a lot of things we try to make it a book about. It is a book about how man's rebellion has been provided a cure in the person of Jesus Christ. So for two millennia, the true church has been preaching Jesus Christ as the only hope for fallen man. He is the Christ who saves. He is the Christ who forgives. He's the Christ who cleanses. He is the Christ who convicts. And He is the Christ who converts. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. In the words of John Newton, I have been young and I am old. And this I have come to know. I am a great sinner in need of a great Savior. See, the sin of homosexuality, like every other sin, must be repented of. Must be forsaken and is to be forgiven. This is the message of the gospel, and it brings us to Christ. This is the message of the church. Here's the message of the church. Jesus saves men from their sins. Rather than raise a banner to stand against something, we must raise the banner of Christ. 
Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, what will I do? I will draw all men to me. The sinners may see Him and come to be saved. The doors of this church are open to all. Church, come on. The doors of this church are opened to all. We don't have a questionnaire outside the door asking anyone's orientations toward anything. We have a sign that says what? Welcome. We hate no man. We hate no woman. He said, Pastor, if you just knew my life, if you knew my sin, we hate no man. And we hate no woman. However, with that said, we will not forsake or compromise the truth of the gospel. Christ is the only hope for any man, regardless of their sin. Amen? Let's stand. bow our heads and pray. Father, when you approach such a weighty matter as this, there's just no way in an hour meeting where you can address so many things that I think about the amount of hours that have been spent reading and studying and just what I've been able to say this morning and how limited it is in its communication and also increased by the nature of the person who tried to communicate it. But Father, I, I do thank you that you have given us the glorious gospel and that through that gospel we have come to know you and we have come to know our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's not a single person in this building this morning who has not needed, nor even now at this moment needs, the glorious forgiveness of Christ. And He stands so ready to forgive, so ready to lavish on us His love, so ready to receive us as He calls us to Himself with open arms, to accept us in His beloved, to call us His own, to extend to us the privilege of calling Him our God, our Lord, our Master, our Father, our Savior, regardless of what we come with, regardless of what we bring. It's often said that you love us just as we are, and indeed that is true, but I'll add to it, You also love us far too much to leave us the way that we were. As you bring that change in us, conforming us by your Spirit, through your glorious gospel, to the likeness and image of your beloved Son, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ.